What is the top priority in your life? We're going to start off with that question to get you thinking this morning. What do you care about most? What takes precedence over other things? Uh, Maybe a way to get an answer to that. If someone were to follow you around this week with a notepad, just writing down everything you did, everything you spent money on, everything you spent time on, uh, what would they say your priorities are? What would they say is the most important aspect of your life on a daily basis? For some people, no doubt, the top priority in their life is making as much money as possible, and that's evident by the choices that they make. For others, the top priority might be a certain hobby or an activity, something you enjoy, and so you free up as much of your time as possible in order to do that thing. For some, it may be education. They're constantly reading, trying to learn. Uh, For others, it may be family. You can see the decisions that are made, the amount of time that's spent, that family is their main focus. Whatever that is for you, whatever priority in your life rises to the top, that becomes your identity. The more that time passes in your life and the more you invest more and more of your life and your energy into that priority, the more of a crisis it is when that thing is gone. For example, if you spend your whole life seeking after wealth, you acquire more and more stuff and then on your deathbed, you realize that within a matter of a few hours or maybe a few days, none of it will matter anymore and everything you lived for will disappear. And really, that's true for almost all of the priorities that I mentioned. Death makes almost all of it irrelevant. It's gone. Those things that we live for suddenly mean very little as we leave this life and enter the next. Now, in light of the reality of death and the brevity of human life, there's really only one thing that makes sense to be our top priority. And as Christians, uh, there's really no question what that should be. Jesus himself gave us the answer. In Mark chapter 12, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, what commandment is the most important of all? So this is a scribe. This is one of the Jewish religious leaders, a man who dedicated his life to the study of the Hebrew scriptures. He sees Jesus reasoning and answering questions and says, wow, this guy has some wisdom. I want to hear his answer. And so he asks him, of all of the 613 commands in the Old Testament, which is the most important? What should be the top priority? What should be the focus of our lives? And Jesus answered in verse 29, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love God with everything that you are. Now, when we speak of loving God, we're talking primarily about dedication and devotion. I think a lot of people get very confused by this language of loving God. Uh, Men tend to just kind of think it's weird and we get really turned off by that phrasing and so we just sort of recoil from it. And women in the church often tend to think in terms of romantic love, which leads to a lot of our modern-day worship music where it sounds like you're singing to your boyfriend more than Jesus. That's not what loving the Lord means. Our first problem is with that word love. We use the English word love in a myriad of ways. We say, I love pizza and I love my wife. And obviously, those are two different kinds of love. We understand that, and yet one word is used for both. 
When we speak of loving God, we're talking about dedicating and devoting our lives to him. He is our king. Our lives are to be lived in service to him. Uh, Words like fealty or allegiance perhaps would be more helpful here. And so loving God means living a life where the glory of God is your top priority. The chief end of man is glorifying God. And by living our lives with that as the focus, with this as the number one priority, it's the only option that we have that death cannot rob us of in the end. So many of those other priorities distract us from what is really the most important thing. Bringing honor to the Lord is what should be at the top of our priorities in life. So today, as we continue in Proverbs, we want to consider what this book of wisdom says about God being our top priority, or you could say putting God first in your life. That's going to be the focus of the sermon this morning. Uh, To begin with, we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 3, and if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. Uh, It'll be helpful for you, especially because it won't all fit on the screen, the passage we're going to look at. Proverbs 3, we're going to begin in verse 5, and we're just going to camp out here for a few minutes, walking phrase by phrase through this very important section, as it will become the foundation for everything else we look at today. Proverbs 3, beginning with verse 5, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. The Hebrew word for trust literally means to physically lean upon something for support. So figuratively here, we're being told to rely upon the Lord instead of our own understanding. If God says one thing and my opinion is the opposite, throw out my opinion and go with what God has said. That's what it means. Now, a lot of us approach scripture more like a skeptic. Uh, We read something from the Bible and we assess whether or not we agree with it, uh, whether or not we think it's right, uh, whether it makes sense to us. Truly trusting in the Lord above myself and not leaning on my own understanding means that I believe God is wiser than I. And so it would be foolish for me to approach Scripture with anything less than total submission to what it says. I had the opportunity in high school of going to uh, Yosemite National Park in California, a beautiful place, probably the most beautiful place I've ever been. Uh, we were out there dropping my brother off at college, and so we stopped there for a couple of days. While we were there, my brother and I decided we weren't going to leave without climbing up a mountain there called Half Dome. And here's a really bad picture of us, but you can see Half Dome there uh, in the background right above my brother's head. Due to its size and the sheer cliffs at the top, it's one of the most dangerous hikes in the U.S., and so, of course, we had to do it. Uh, Here's another view of it kind of from above where you can see it better. Uh, It's about a 12-hour hike up the peak of Half Dome, and the last 500 feet or so are straight up. And because it's such a steep incline, uh, you can't just walk up it. You have these cables uh, that you use. They have there to pull yourself up to the top. If you look very closely there, Uh, Right about here, you can see the line of people uh, that are going up the cables. And of course, this is the very dangerous part, because if you lose your grip and you fall, uh, you are dead. It's a very far far, uh, drop. Uh, Just to give you an idea of what it's like, most of that last part, you actually can't stand up at all. Uh, You're essentially doing pull-ups. You're pulling yourself, uh, your body weight up the cable and using it to support yourself all the way up. After about half an hour of going up those cables, we did eventually make it all the way to the top. Here's the view 
uh, from the summit. If you have really good eyes, you can see me right there in the middle. Uh, absolutely incredible experience. I would love to do it again someday. But back to the cables, because this is really the point I wanted to make. Uh, this is what these cables look like, where you're pulling yourself up and where you're lowering yourself back down. Now, luckily for us, the cables were very well constructed, so they were able to support the weight of everybody who was uh, climbing up and down. But imagine that they weren't. Imagine that the cable on the right was solid and sturdy, and the cable on the left had screws loose and was about to break under tension. In other words, one side is reliable, <clears throat> the other side is flimsy. This is sort of the image that Proverbs 3 is giving us about our own understanding versus God's word. Now, every day that we live, we have the choice to make. Are we going to lean on our own understanding, or will we in instead choose to trust in the Lord with all of our heart? Proverbs 3.5 is saying that the wise person will rely on God's wisdom more than his own. This is what it means to trust the Lord with all of your heart instead of leaning on your own understanding. It means that I recognize my understanding, my wisdom is flawed. Leaning on my own wisdom will at times lead me to fall, whereas God is totally reliable. And so living my life in a way that is trusting God means my confidence is set on a reliable object. I trust so much in the wisdom of God that even if I don't understand it, I'm going to live my life relying on what he has said. I'm going to make decisions and set priorities in my life based on what God has said. And so that's verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Putting God first in your life means acknowledging God in all of your ways, meaning in every area of life. I am to be trusting and obeying the Lord. And if you live this way, seeking the guidance of the Lord in everything you do, <clears throat> this proverb tells us he will make straight your paths. He will direct you. And so total commitment to God, total trust in God, total obedience to God. This is what Proverbs is urging us toward. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. <clears throat> Excuse me. Again, there's the idea of me distrusting my own understanding, <clears throat> not being wise in my own estimation, fearing the Lord, turning away from evil. Fearing the Lord, again, is when I care most what God thinks. I'm making decisions based not primarily on what I want to do or what others around me think I should do, but based on what God says I should do. My chief concern is his will for my life. And here's the result of that, verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, this is something we're going to see again in verse 10 as well, but a life devoted to serve and honor God will bring God's blessing. In this instance, it's speaking of peace, healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. Just as drinking cool water on a hot day refreshes you, so trusting in God and living in obedience and reliance on his word will bring emotional refreshment to your soul. So much of the turmoil and chaos of our lives is really the result of doing things our own way and distrusting what God has said rejecting the wise counsel of Scripture and going astray. Verse 9, honor the Lord 
with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So part of what it means to put God first in my life includes how I handle finances. Now, of course, some are able to give more than others. Some are uh, more or less at different seasons of your life. But all of us should be prioritizing the Lord and his kingdom financially. And again, you notice even in that phrasing there, the word first fruits, meaning this should be the number one priority. We don't just give God leftovers. Uh, We set giving to the Lord, honoring him with our wealth as uh, a first priority. We determine what we can afford, what we should give, and we don't let anything get in the way of that priority. Verse 10, we see the results of this. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. If we honor the Lord financially, put him first in our lives, he will bless us and provide for us so that our needs are met. And so if you want to summarize this section of Proverbs 3, here are the four commands that we're given. This is what it means to put God first. Number one, trust in the Lord completely. That's relying on his word, uh, assuming that God is smarter than me. And so even when I don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to trust in what he has said. Number two, acknowledge God in everything. Every area of my life should be surrendered to his will. Number three, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's being most concerned with pleasing God in my life. That's the number one concern I have in decisions I make is fearing God, doing what I believe would be pleasing to him. And then number four, honor the Lord. And in particular here it says with your wealth giving as much as you can afford to furthering his purposes of making disciples of Jesus in the world. So four commands, trust God, acknowledge God, fear God, honor God. This is what a life devoted to the Lord looks like. I care most what God thinks. In every area of my life, I'm concerned with what God has said, and that's directing me. That's directing the decisions that I make. I'm seeking to honor him, to show that God is the most important priority in my life. And I'm trusting in his wisdom to live my life more than my own. And the results of this kind of life of devotion to God, where God is truly the top priority, is God's blessing and his direction in our life. It's the only kind of life where the benefit and the goal that you're working toward doesn't disappear the moment that your life ends. For the Christian, death should be the consummation of everything we've been living for, not the end of it all. Next, we turn to Proverbs 16, and most of what we're going to see in the Proverbs that follow really just build off of this section in Proverbs 3. We'll see each component of trusting the Lord, acknowledging the Lord, fearing the Lord, and honoring the Lord repeated in these verses. Uh, First, Proverbs 16, verse 20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. This proverb describing the blessing uh, describes the blessing and success that is the result of a life lived as Proverbs 3 lays out. Uh, Giving thought to the word, that's acknowledging God in everything. It's living your life in light of what scripture commands. And that life of thoughtful and considered obedience to the word of God is a demonstration or an outworking of one's trust in the Lord. If I trust God, I will obey God. If I truly believe that God is the ultimate source of wisdom, I'm going to listen to what he has said in his word. That's the idea here. 
And that kind of trusting submission leads to the blessing of God on your life and success in your efforts. And so again, the idea there is of putting God first, trusting in the Lord, giving thought to his word. Let that be the focus in your life and let that direct all of your choices. Next, Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Now, the idea here, a little bit foreign to us in today's culture, but back in this day, you had uh, wars going on all the time. One city would attack another city and try to uh, take over. And so the idea here in a military context is of an enemy army invading your town. Uh, Once the outer walls of the city have been breached, you would run to the tower, a fortress that would be right in the center of the city, constructed as sort of a last resort place of safety, a place that couldn't be broken into or scaled. This proverb is telling us to find our security and safety in the Lord. We are to run to him in times of turmoil, when we don't know what to do. God is to be our confidence in what we are ultimately trusting in. And just to kind of contrast this again with the way that many of us think, uh, look at verse 11 of the same chapter, the very next verse. It says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. So the rich man is trusting in his wealth rather than God being his strong tower and his fortress of protection. He thinks that money will provide his safety and security. But it's not a reliable object of trust, as is hinted at at the end of the verse there. His wealth is like a high wall in his imagination. He thinks that his money is going to protect him. And so he places his trust and confidence in his wealth. But ultimately, that fails. Very often in life, but certainly in the next life, money will do you no good as an object of your faith and confidence. And so taking these two Proverbs together... It indicates to us that everyone has a place of ultimate security. Everyone has a fortress, uh, something in your life that you think, as long as I have this, everything is okay. For the wealthy, it may be their money. For the powerful, it's often their position of power. But for the wise person, the Lord should be our fortress. The name of the Lord is the only sure and steadfast security to which we can run. Next, Proverbs 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Uh, This is one of those Proverbs that might be confusing to you when you first read it, uh, thinking that it's saying, if you fear the Lord, nothing bad will ever happen to you. That's not really the point. Uh, Being visited by harm refers to calamity that would interfere with the course of one's life and change the direction of their destiny. And so it isn't referring to a minor trouble that we all experience. Rather, this proverb is saying that a life lived in the fear of the Lord won't be disrupted by major catastrophes that would alter its course. In other words, the fear of the Lord drives out other fears. As we've said in the past, fearing the Lord means being most concerned with what God thinks, living my life seeking primarily to please him and to glorify him in everything. And that kind of life will be blessed with peace and joy. Note that word in the middle of the verse there, satisfied. Uh, That's one of the major differences between putting God at first in your life and putting another interest first in your life. 
If your primary priority is something other than God, it will never truly satisfy you. The goals and the priorities that we focus so much of our energy and attention on, it's a continual seeking while never finding. It's an urge that will never truly be satisfied. But if we live in the fear of the Lord, we can experience true satisfaction in life. Uh, This concept is expounded further in chapter 29, verse 18 of Proverbs, which says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Again, this proverb teaches us that following the word of God and placing God's will as the priority in our lives, setting the direction for our decisions, this will actually lead to our own supreme joy and blessing. A people without scripture, without prophetic vision, is what that's referring to, uh, cast off restraints, the base instincts of our uh, human sinful nature will lead us to chaos, but those who keep the law are blessed. In other words, it's actually a better way to live. When we talk about God being the number one priority, uh, setting him above other things in your life, that actually improves your quality of life. It leads to blessing, to joy, to satisfaction. Uh, We talked about this before in our Wednesday night Bible studies many times, that everywhere Christianity goes, living conditions improve. It's no coincidence that the places in the world with the best uh, education and healthcare and freedom and economy, those are the places where Christianity has historically taken deep root. Because the principles of Scripture lead to human flourishing. In particular, principles like we're seeing here in Proverbs for wise living, the quality of life for a group of people, will improve as they begin implementing the teaching of Scripture into their daily lives. And that concept is not just true on a societal level, it's true for the individual as well. You will find more true happiness in the path of obedience to God's word than casting it aside and living life however you please. The law of God isn't a restraint on your happiness and freedom. Rather, it is actually the path to true joy and satisfaction and real freedom. Uh, One more passage here as we close. This is one we looked at just briefly last time. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Uh, We talked about this last week in the context of contentment, but I want to hit it at a little bit of a different angle here. Notice the concern in these last couple of verses of Proverbs 30. Uh, The concern is all about his relationship to God. It's not about himself. Uh, He doesn't say, help me not to be poor because I don't want to suffer. He says, help me not to be poor because I don't want to profane the name of my God out of desperation. I want to do something that would bring shame to my God. And also, help me not to be rich because if I'm rich, I may feel that I no longer need God. If I was first in my life, if I was the top priority, I would ask for riches, of course. But if God is first in my life, I'll be concerned about having too much so that I'll lose my reliance on him. When was the last time that you prayed something like this? 
God, please help me not to have so much success, so much wealth, so much security, that I start to think that I don't need you. Keep me dependent on you. Keep me aware of my weakness and my need for your strength. And this leads to kind of the one practical takeaway I want to leave you with. If you're wondering how to put God first in your life, what does it even look like? I would recommend starting with your prayer life. Instead of asking God to do a bunch of things for you all the time, start asking God to work through you for his sake. If pleasing the Lord is your number one priority, it ought to be your number one prayer request. If bringing glory to his name is the goal of your life, that also should be the focus of your prayers. I think this is why Jesus taught us, first and foremost in the model prayer, to to pray these three requests. None of them are about me. First, hallowed be your name. May your name be magnified and glorified. Secondly, may your kingdom come. Thirdly, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are the things that so often we fail to pray. Instead, we jump right to asking God to meet our needs and to fix our problems. And so even now, as we go into our time of prayer and reflection, I want each of us to just take a few minutes to consider our priorities. What are we investing time in? What do we spend our money in? What are are we trusting in? What is that thing in your life that is your fortress, the thing that you think, as long as I have that, everything will be okay. Let's ask God to begin working in our lives so that he will have the proper place of ultimate supremacy. Let's pray together.